you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Good evening, and uh, yeah, good to see all of you again. It's been a couple weeks, Sabbath, Sunday, out of town, stuff like that, so it's just good to be, good to be in this place. Uh, my name is Erin, as Chris said, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, I always like to begin with a land acknowledgement to honor the Native people that existed here before us. And so tonight we honor once again the first peoples of current day downtown Phoenix, the Thana Otham Nation. In the words of Lisa Sharon Harper, they were and they are here. We see you. We honor you. We thank you for laying foundations of harmony, balance, truth, and honor. Thank you for stewarding the land where Creator settled your people. We bless you. We bless your elders, past, present, and emerging. One question I've been asking myself a lot lately is what year is it? And what world am I living in? The more that I read history and the books that have documented events of our past, it's hard to believe that after so many years, it feels like humanity has not made much progress. What year is it? Because in 1930, Hitler's poisonous beliefs initially led to an increase in German citizens attacking Jewish businesses, schools, and synagogues. And then after he took over the country, those beliefs transitioned into a government-led program to strip Jews of their citizenship rights, seize their businesses and assets, and bar Jewish children from attending public schools. And then finally, his solution was to kill as many Jews as German efficiency could manage. It was cruel and unusual punishment. And then we roll forward to 2020, 90 years later, we see attacks on black churches, attacks on synagogues, attacks on elderly Asians, and attacks on the LGBTQ plus community. This is very similar to what Hitler did in 1930. And many Germans let it pass because his policies seem to be good for the economy. Many believe these attacks on the black and LGBTQ plus communities are warning signs of what is to come. I thought humanity had learned its lessons on fascism. I thought humanity had learned what it means to treat people well. I thought and want to believe that humanity would have learned by now the golden rule, which is simply to treat others the way you want to be treated. So again, I ask, what year is it? Because in the 1960s, I thought we did the work aimed at eliminating race discrimination amongst minority voters with the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But here, white supremacy is again trying to roll back the work of our ancestors. The work of same-sex marriage, which is rooted in the belief that it's all right to bring our whole selves into a community and that we can show up as ourselves without question unapologetically. The work of a woman's right to choose, which is rooted in the belief that a woman can trust her own sacred instinct. And her instinct is her mind, her body, her emotions, her consciousness is in fact sacred because it is in fact what makes her human. 
The work of affirmative action is a work of acknowledgement that white supremacy does indeed exist and marginalized groups have indeed experienced discrimination and disadvantaged opportunities. So if our country is rolling back the hard work of those that have gone before us, again I ask, what year is it? What started off as subtle exhortations to build a wall to prevent immigrants from entering into the United States has evolved into a wider culture war against wokeness. Proud Boys, Trump followers, and other white supremacist extremist groups have waged a concerted attack on minority communities. The white supremacy and fascism of DeSantis has turned the Florida Board of Education into his propaganda machine to ban books like The Color Purple, Native Son, and books on Hank Aaron and Roberto Clemente. He even banned the Advanced Placement African American Studies course because he believes any historical information that paints white people in a negative light should be banned. Nor should there be any books on LGBTQ plus issues. So once again, what year is it? Let us not forget that on September 13th, 2022, DeSantis shipped two plane loads of Venezuelan migrants to Martha's Vineyard, allegedly in order to draw attention to what he claimed to be the Biden administration's failed border policies. But very few analyses gave much attention to how DeSantis's stunt was connected to a white supremacy ideology nor did they give much attention to how this stunt resembled a segregationist past in which white citizen councils in the South protested against attempts by activists in their early 60s who traveled to the South as freedom riders to integrate the interstate bus system. Not only did the segregationists and armed mobs confront the freedom riders when they pulled into southern cities with bats and firebombs, they also passed out leaflets and placed want ads in southern newspapers to recruit black families with the promise of jobs up north as part of an inhumane plan to send busloads of black people up north. In the media, on both the right and the left, little was said connecting this racist policy to DeSantis' passing laws banning books about black history and racial narratives from schools and libraries, along with, the limit, along with limiting what teachers can teach about racism, a policy that clearly indicates how DeSantis is following in the footsteps of Hitler's Germany. So what year is it? In what world are we living in? In our passage tonight, there was another group that asked a similar question. And no, it wasn't necessarily the disciples. And it wasn't necessarily the large crowd that flocked to Jesus. In Matthew eleven sixteen through 19, Pharisees were the ones sitting in the town square watching everyone, complaining about those who wouldn't toe the line and dance to their tune. It was the Pharisees who accused John the Baptist of being under evil influence because they could not control him. It was the Pharisees who accused Jesus of socializing with people who were a danger to Israel and should be ostracized. The Pharisees weren't happy with John the Baptist or Jesus. They couldn't control John, so they accused him of being under the influence of evil. And they couldn't control Jesus, so they borrowed phrases from Deuteronomy 21 to make it sound like Jesus was a stubborn and rebellious son deserving of death. 
Jesus openly resisted the social pressures of the Pharisees because he saw the real reason Israel's leaders ostracized those that, couldn't, that they couldn't control was exactly that. It was always about power. The wisdom of God befriends tax collectors and sinners, and it took a lot of courage for Jesus to befriend those who literally financed the oppression of God's people and disregarded his authority. I would imagine the Pharisees questioned among themselves, this cannot be the Jesus that we were expecting. He is not doing anything the way that we wanted him to do it. In fact, it feels like we've lost control. He must be a false prophet. What in the world is Jesus doing? What world are we living this, living in for this cannot be right? And Jesus counters their questioning with a statement that poses as another question. So let's pick up the passage again in Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did Jesus mean by yoke? In the Old Testament, the word yoke is usually a symbol of rulership. An animal that had never been yoked was unbroken, not under anyone else's control. Freeing Israel from slavery under Pharaoh was breaking the bars of a yoke. Israel had struggled to serve God as their king without having a human king. Samuel warned them of how a human king would burden them. He said over and over again in 1 Samuel 8, he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take. But the people insisted that we still want our own king. David defeated their enemies and Solomon could say that God had given him rest. But Solomon did not give rest to his people. Solomon levied a heavy tax burden, and he expected his people to work for him three months every year for seven years to build the temple. And when the temple was finished, he didn't ease the burden. He kept it up for another 13 years so that they would build him a palace as well. It's kind of like when you sign up for a mortgage and you wind up paying for two or three homes after you bought your first home. Very similar to Solomon's heavy tax burden. The burden was so great that 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel threw off the yoke of Davidic kingship when Solomon died, and they asked his son Rehoboam to ease the burden. Because this world's rulers are so oppressive, we are often fearful of submitting to anyone. 
But Jesus removes the slavery, the oppression, the harsh servitude. He restores the rest God designed for us in the beginning. Jesus's kingship is not a heavy burden. It is a light yoke. So when Jesus asked Israel to accept his yoke, he was asking them to recognize his kingship. So when they asked, what year is it? Jesus was proposing another question. What year do you want it to be? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What year do you want it to be? Because the way that your government treats you is not the way that God treats you. What year do you want it to be? Because every people group your city looks over are the exact ones I tend to first. What year do you want it to be? What type of world do you want to live in? I want to take two minutes and for us to just sit with Jesus and imagine with him. Imagine Jesus asking you, Lisa, Tina, Donald, Brad, what year do you want it to be? Let's take two minutes and just sit with the Lord and we'll return.
we can come back to the space together. And I'll just ask, if you're willing to, three volunteers to just share maybe what you saw or what you feel or what that exercise was like for you. If you don't mind sharing it in the mic, just for the recording. So during that time, I asked God, how does he make his yoke light when there seems to be so much to do in the world? And the passage that came to mind was Jacob working to marry Rachel. And it said it didn't feel like it was work at all because of how much he loved her. And so I found myself asking God if he would help me to love the work he has for me and the people in my life so that his burden, so that that yoke would feel easy. It was it was simple, but what year do you want it to be? Um, for it would my it would be like a year of restoration for like my indigenous people and like everything that's been taken and everything they still fight for and um, like the even just that the law about not taking indigenous children away from indigenous families. Like my dad was taken away. So that was just like brought up again in Supreme Court. And, you know, people don't talk about that. But, yeah, just the year of restoration. Thank you for sharing that. One more. I felt you wanted to share. That seems unfair. Uh, I just kept asking the question, what year do you want it to be? And I kept hearing, which is kind of the same theme, I think, that uh, both Tina and Jessica, is the year of Jubilee, and just like the, the year of liberation, the year of restoration. Um, I think you've painted a picture of what that can look like and be, but just hearing that again, and I was caught, as I was saying that, back to Jesus, that the year of Jubilee never really actually happened throughout scripture, even as it was named as something that should happen. And I think that fits kind of the, what, what year is it and what year do I want it to be? That's awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for sharing all of you. Um, in our current book club hosted by the popes, we're actually reading a book called a living resistance by Katie Curtis and she opens up by saying resistance and all forms of liberation start with curious minds. Liberation starts with people not afraid to ask questions. Not afraid to ask what year it is because eventually maybe you'll get to what year do you want it to be. Not afraid to sit in the frustration because eventually maybe it will lead you to participation and helping to bring about the change you want to see in the world. Who's to say 
that some of the Pharisees did not eventually change their minds. Liberation starts with a willingness to question everything. I'd like to invite the band to come up now. And as they come up and they begin to play, to be honest, honestly, I cried as I prayed, trying to figure out what to say tonight because I don't know the answers. Sometimes it feels like there are just too many hopeless things happening, one after the other, after the other, after the other. So I question, God, what do you want me to say because the world is too broken for me? And sometimes I just feel like I don't have hope to give. And reading Living Resistance reminds me that hope to give sometimes just looks like taking care of yourself. Hope to give sometimes means embracing the nuances of the human experience. Hope to give sometimes just means seeking the ability to create space for all people. Hope to give sometimes means the willingness to keep asking questions and interrogating harmful belief systems. Hope to give sometimes means asking yourself, how can I be more human? How can I embrace my own humanity? How can I be more gentle towards myself and my own journey towards wholeness and wellness? And how can I be an aid to others who are moving in the same direction? So hope to give isn't necessarily something conjured up that is an answer to a question. Hope to give is living. It's breathing, it's existing, it's being, it's imagining, it's creating. It's a gentle embrace of our human experience. So when Jesus says, come to me, he's speaking to you who are weary and have heavy burdens. You who have questions that feel like they cannot be answered because he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For you who struggle, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For you who criticize, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For you who doubt, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For you who have given up, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For you who don't know what to do, Jesus says to you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, so come to me and find rest for your souls. In the words of Reverend Alvin Herring, the current executive director of Faith in Action, I'll end with these words. A new day is on her way, and she's getting here as fast as she can. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.